well, as I said, it's, it's good to be back with you. Uh, we did have a, a great time. We had a great vacation. We had a great time uh, resting and studying, and, and it was great. But no matter how good of a vacation you have, or no matter how good of a, a weekend you have, or no matter how good of a life you have, there's always going to be trouble, right? You can't escape from trouble. Some of you probably have gone on vacation or are going on vacation, and even if you plan the best trip, the perfect trip, it doesn't matter. There always can be trouble. The Airbnb that we were supposed to stay at, we showed up, and I'd even asked them, I'm saying a little bit of this just to get it off my chest, but I'd even asked them, is there going to be any construction happening? Because last year when we went on vacation, there was drilling all around us. They're ripping up floors. Is there going to be any construction? No. We show up. There's literally tractors and giant cranes. They're building a whole new complex right across the street where the pool is supposed to be. And that was not okay. So I just prayed for God's judgment upon them. And I'm still doing that. If you want to join with me, we're going to have a prayer meeting after this. Because I got nowhere with customer service. So, And we got back. And we went to a 4th of July party. Uh, we went to a 4th of July party here. And our, my car was parked on the street. And someone threw a rock through the window. Shattered. Like, that's not fun. So I have a shattered window. I'd clean up that. That was just, you know, this last week. Then we went to uh, the Colorado Rapids game. And we were there for hours and hours because they paused it, delayed it because of storms. Then they ended up canceling it. That was on uh, whatever, 4th, 4th of July. So those are the little things, right? I'm not trying to just say, oh, woe is me. My life is so bad. Just, my point is just life is filled with a bunch of those little things, right? You go to a party, but your window breaks. You go to a soccer game, but it gets rained out and canceled. You go on vacation, but there's construction. Life is filled with all sorts of little troubles right? But it's also filled with big troubles. It's also filled with big things. I don't bring up little troubles to kind of demean the larger struggles that we face also. Life is filled with large struggles that we face. It's filled with the death of loved ones. It's filled with relational problems. It's filled with financial problems. It's filled with world problems. You just look at what's happening in the world. I wasn't on the news or anything for a month and then come back and Nothing's really changed, but there's just more headlines of people dying, problems, corruption. It's never just you look at the news and everybody's happy. Lots of joyful things happen. People are growing in their patience. That's never, I don't see a bunch of headlines saying that. It's always just sadness and corruption and violence and death and shootings. And the world is filled with problems. People are sick. We experience physical pain. We experience emotional pain relational tension and drama. Some of you maybe are moving here this summer. A lot of times in the summer, people move to Colorado. Maybe you're moving here and you're experiencing loneliness and trying to figure out changes in your life and all sorts of things where we experience little troubles, and big troubles, and can't get away from that. How we handle the problems in our life, how we handle the troubles in our life, changes us. How we handle it changes us. For better or for worse, how we handle the problems in our life can cause us to grow cold, can cause us to grow cynical, can cause us to grow bitter, can cause us to grow distant and cold with God, can cause us to close off inside. Or it can actually be what leads to strength, 
to deeper contentment, to joy, to maturity, to growth. How we handle all the troubles that we face in our life changes us. How we handle it changes us. And, and none of us want to stay in the emotional place that we are when it comes to the troubles we face. Usually we start off the emotional troubles uh, angry or sad or just frustrated or different things. But none of us want to stay there. We want to move along. That's why we say different things like, I want to get over it or I want to get past this or I want to experience closure with grief. We talk about stages of grief or we talk about moving on from certain things. We want movement wherever we begin. It's just true with the little troubles that we face in life, and it's true with the big troubles. We want progression. We want movement. How do we do that? That's really the question that we're going to look at today. How do we move? How do we progress? How do we move from a starting place that might be tension, frustration, doubt, fear, anxiety, anger, sorrow, to joy, to strength, to maturity, to growth? How do we make that progression? How do we make that movement? Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to say it, different people say it different ways, so there's not an official way. You can ask him in heaven. But Habakkuk, that's how he will be known in this series. Habakkuk starts with questions and pain and doubt and moves from that to this deep joy and trust and faith. And some of the verses in this little book of the Bible that maybe you've never even really studied, some of the verses are some of the most quoted in the New Testament. Some that actually help spark the Protestant Reformation. There's deep power in this book that starts with some of the most pain of any of the books. And yet moves to this place of some of the greatest power. How do we have that same movement in our life? How do we have that same movement? And listen, some of you are probably going through it. Some of you are probably going through really difficult stuff. Some of you are in the middle of it. And sometimes you're not, but it will be coming for everyone. And sometimes it's not the big stuff, but it's just we need to know how do we deal with the troubles we face, even in the little stuff, the broken window in the construction. You got to know how to deal with that stuff. Because if you don't know how to deal with that, you'll never know how to deal with the big stuff. And it's the same muscles. It's the same habits. It's the same patterns. It's the same things that Habakkuk is going to help us experience. And really, this book is unique in some ways because it's one of the, it's one of the, it's classified biblically as a minor prophet, which just means a prophet with a smaller book. But it's not, normally, it's a prophet speaking to God's people. This is a prophet speaking to God, wrestling with him. We really get a window into his prayer journal. So it's a unique book that helps us see the same struggles and the same movement that we need in our life. How do we handle the difficulty in our life? How do we move from wherever we are to a place of strength and growth and power? That's the question. Now, here's the context of this book real quick. The context is this. Israel has had a series of awful kings, awful kings that didn't follow God. They had had a series of 
wicked kings, worshiping false gods, Baal, Molech, child sacrifice, all sorts of injustice. They were supposed to be a unique, set-apart people for God, and instead they became just like the nations around them. Sound familiar at all? And that'll be maybe the next series. But that, that's basically how they were. Then they get this young boy king at eight years old, Josiah. And he comes into power of good advisors around him. And there's basically like a revival that breaks out. They find the Bible, which think about how crazy that is that they had lost the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament but they, or some of the Old Testament, but they had lost the book of the law. They had lost the book of God's law to his people. They had lost it. They find it. I mean, imagine you guys show up and are like, I don't, I don't know where the Bible is. We're just kind of winging it. That, if that was the church, maybe that feels like what the church kind of is like out there, right? How are you? Well, we lost the Bible. It's fine. We got a self-help blog. Uh, so they had lost the Bible. They find it. People repent. They start to make some renovations in the temple. There's a lot of good things that happens. And then he dies. And they go right back to it. Even more wicked. Social corruption, moral corruption, spiritual corruption, everything is awful. Looming, growing empires that are evil out there of Babylon and Assyria. That's the context. So Habakkuk is experiencing our people, the people of God, the people of Judah, the people of Israel are corrupt. The leaders are corrupt. The kings are corrupt. No one's following you. No one's faithful. The nations around us are corrupt. This is not good. That's the situation. That's the context. And here's what he says. This is written, no one knows exactly, but some of the clues in the text, it's probably around 605 BC. He was a contemporary. If you were here last year, in January, I went through the book of Zephaniah. He would have been a contemporary of that. So there's all sort of the Bible nerd stuff. Now here's what he says. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? will cry out to you about violence, and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective, and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. This is how he begins. That's a really hard opening. No, hello God, dear God, I'd like to just comes out pretty hot, right? But he helps us with this beginning question. What does it look like to face our troubles? What did it look like for him? What does it look like for you if right now you're in the middle of it? What does it look like just as a muscle in normal everyday life? What does it look like to face our troubles? And here's what we see. Feels pain. Look at all the problems that he lists. Violence, wrongdoing, oppression, strife. It's ongoing, so it's not just as a one-time incident. This is ongoing. And down here, he, he says that it, it's, it's ongoing and it escalates. Meaning, it's not a one-time thing. It's happening and it's getting worse. The law is ineffective. Yeah, God, you have your law, you have your rules, but people don't obey them. So it doesn't matter. Justice never happens. There's supposed to be justice. It never happens. These are the problems that he is experiencing. He feels the pain. 
and he feels in all of this burdened. It says this word, the pronouncement. And in some translations that will say oracle. In the King James Version, it says the burden. Because it can be translated that way. And if you think about it, a pronouncement or an oracle or a burden are all very similar. Because if you have a burden as a prophet, then you are going to pronounce things or speak things. So he is burdened. He's burdened. He feels all of this stuff and he is weighted. Have you felt that? The pressure's in your life and it feels like a burden. You might even physically feel it. You might even walk different. You might actually kind of be slumped down because just life is on you. He feels burdened, weighted. He doesn't deny that. He doesn't just try to slap a smile on his face. He's honest with the pain. But it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's more existential than that. Because it's not just, there is bad things happening, I feel weighted. It's not just that life is troubled and life has problems and it's hard. It's not only that, it's deeper. He says, yeah, but God also, where are you? Because we can have problems in our life. We can face things in our life. We can experience pain and issues in our life. But then when you add the layer of, okay, yeah, but why aren't you doing anything about it, God? That makes it even harder. That makes it even more difficult. And, and he is filled with these questions. This is just this first section of the book. But as we move along, this book is filled with questions. How long? Why? Why? He's filled with questions for God. Where are you asking God questions? Or where have you asked God questions? You say, God, why is it like this in the world? God, where are you? What are you doing? God, why is it like this in my job? Why is it like this with my kids? Why is it like this? Why why is my body like this? Why am I sick? God, why are we infertile? God, why, why can I never seem to get ahead? God, why am I lonely? Where are you? What are you doing? Why can't this relationship issue get fixed? Why can't I change? Where, what are you doing? Where are you? How long is it going to be like this? Sorry. We feel these questions. We ask these questions. If you're not a Christian, and maybe some of you are here today, and you're just kind of checking it out, maybe somebody dragged you, dragged you here, maybe you love bounce houses. You're 34, but you're like, man, I'm all in. So I, I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're exploring faith, and maybe this is part of the reason. You've got all these questions. How long? Why? If God was real, that why, why, why would there be so much pain? Why, why would he allow this in my life? Why wouldn't he do this? And you've got questions. Listen, I've asked all of these questions in my life. Where are you? What are you doing? How long? Why? I've asked all of those many times in my life. Just like Habakkuk. I've asked these questions. Wrestled with these questions. I know you have too. And Habakkuk is wrestling. He's asking questions. Let me tell you this. One of the hardest things in life is a Christian. 
One of the hardest things in life is knowing who God is and not seeing him be consistent with that to what you feel like that would look like. Knowing that God is healer and a friend dying in the hospital. Knowing that God is all-powerful and you still can't get a job. Knowing that God loves you more than anything in this world and you still are struggling with community and friendship and loneliness. Knowing that God can change people, dramatic testimonies of life change, and you're still struggling with the same stuff. One of the hardest things in life is knowing who God is, not ignorance of Him, knowing who God is and saying, but why aren't you being who you say you are? Why aren't you being who you are for my friend? That's one of the hardest things to deal with in life. Habakkuk is experiencing this right now. But here's the key. Here's the key. And this is, this is, this is, this is one of the, the big ideas today. The key is this. He prays. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? You know what that means? He's been continually coming to God. He's been continually coming to God. He's, he's unsure. He's frustrated. He's got questions. He doesn't get it. He's confused. But he is coming to God. He's coming to Him. He is continually, over and over again, coming to Him. Faith is not just smiling about the life that you have. Faith is coming to God. Faith is taking our pain and turning it into prayer. The category in the Bible for this is called lament. About a third of the Psalms are lament. Faith is bringing our pain and turning it into prayer. It's coming to God. It's talking to to God, even when confused, even when wrestling, even when unsure, even when frustrated, even when grieving, it's still coming to God. Faith is coming to Him. And sometimes we don't do that. We say, I could never talk like this to God, or I could never speak like this to God, or I, I could never say those kinds of things. God wouldn't want to hear that. Or maybe we go somewhere else, I, I talk to a friend about these things, or I talk to my mom about these things, or maybe it's I just talk to ice cream about these things, I get comfort somewhere. Listen, you will go somewhere when you're facing trouble. You'll go somewhere. You might go into your own fantasy world. You might go to Netflix. You might go to your phone. And we would probably have no psalms in the Bible if David had a phone. Like, I'm in the valley of the shadow. Oh, never mind. I'm just going to scroll. We would never get any of the psalms that we have. So often when we're struggling, it's just, I'm going to scroll. Numb the pain for a minute. Faith is coming to God. With questions, with sorrow, with anger, with frustration. It's coming to God. It's bringing Everything to him. It's engaging with God when pain is all you feel. That's what faith is. That's what he does. He doesn't just 
silence it, doesn't just push it down. So even though there's so many questions and there's so much pain, we still see faith because he's coming to God. He's bringing it to him. The call of how long, O Lord, is still a call to the Lord. Still a call of faith. He's asking. He's coming. Listen, God wants your whole self. I don't know if you have a friend like that or maybe a family member or brother or sister. Someone that you feel like, I can just unload. I can say, here I am. Every dirty, gross, bad thought, part of me, just here I am. Here's what I think about this. Here's, and just you're able to just totally, if you've ever had a friend like that, or if you do have a friend like that, or if you have a spouse or a, somebody like, where you can just, we love that. Someone that just says, I'll take all of you, all of it. That's what God says to you. He says you can bring your whole self to him. You can bring all the questions, all the wrestle, all the struggle. You can bring your whole self to him. God wants it. So here's the thing. You're, you're not made to go through your troubles alone. You are not made to face your troubles alone. You're not made to face them by yourself. In fact, I'll say it this way. Whatever you are facing, whatever troubles that you face, whatever troubles that you will face, you can't by yourself. You can't. Faith is engaging with God. So you want the first step. We talked about movement. How do you move? How do you start from questions and doubt and wrestle and fear and anxiety and sorrow and anger? How do you move from that to deep faith and power and growth and strength? How do you move? The first step is, you. it's simple, and yet we often don't do it, but it's, we bring it to God. We are honest. We speak to Him about it. Over and over and over again. You keep coming. Whether it's questions or frustration, you come to God. That is the first step. In fact, let me just give you a practical application this week to either take this prayer that Habakkuk has or grab a psalm that speaks in this same kind of voice and just speak it or write it out in your own words. Bring your troubles to God. The second thing that we're going to look at is this. How does God respond? How does God respond to our questions? When we bring it all to Him, when we're honest, unfiltered even, and we pour our heart out, what happens? How does God respond? I'm just going to read you this first part, and then we'll look at some of the rest. But He says this. This is God's response. Look at the nations and observe be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your day that you will not believe when you hear about it. Now there's a handful of things that we see about how God responds. The first one is very simple. He hears. That's such a simple truth and yet very profound. God hears. So whatever you are struggling with, Whatever troubles that you face, whether they're small or they're big, whether it's Monday blues or deep depression, God hears us when we pour our heart out to Him. God hears you. 
I mentioned at the beginning that I was trying to fix this construction issue with Airbnb. And one of the hardest things was I couldn't even speak to a supervisor. They wouldn't even let me speak to anybody. And I found this like Reddit thread saying, yeah, they won't ever let you speak to someone. They'll just keep passing you around. And, and it's exactly what was happening. And then I get a call at like three in the morning that was from a supervisor. And then I was like, why did a supervisor back and forth? I couldn't even let my complaint be heard. They wouldn't even listen to me. Which is why this sermon is brought to you by VRBO. We are done with Airbnb. They, they, seriously, I'm done. But they, 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 I, it was so frustrating because I couldn't even, I couldn't even get those that were in power, those with authority, those that would have answers to listen. That is not God. God hears you. That's the immediate thing that Habakkuk speaks. God heard him. The king of the universe, the most powerful being that there is, hears you. He hears your troubles. He hears them. That is the starting place. You might not get why he does what he does or why he says what he says, but he hears you. In fact, I just want you, not out loud, but just to say, under your breath, he hears me. He hears you. That is a powerful truth. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing we see, just from this little section, is that he speaks. God doesn't have to speak. He could just ignore him. He could just say, uh, can I put you on hold? And there could just be an AI-generated response and just Habakkuk could just get the voicemail. But God responds to him. He speaks to him. God speaks to him when he calls out to him. Now listen, sometimes God might speak to you directly. I don't necessarily mean an audible voice, but you may feel the Holy Spirit put a strong impression upon your heart and mind, and you always have to test that by God's word. Otherwise, it's not God speaking to you. It's false. It's your own voice or worse. But God speaks to us. The main way that we hear God speak to us is his word, which is why any time, and I don't say this callously, any time that people are struggling and they say, I, I just feel like God's silent or God's not speaking to me, that is not true. If you've ever felt that way, it's false. God has spoken to us in his word. And any time you want to hear from him, you can. I'm not saying you will emotionally feel like, oh, but God has spoken to us, is speaking to us. His word is alive and active. And so God speaks to you right now. You don't have to sit silently and wait and go, God, where are you? Will you speak to me? We don't have to do that. God has spoken to us in his word. And you can hear his voice anytime you want. He speaks. He spoke to Habakkuk. He speaks to us. And we have his sure word to us. He speaks. Which means this, there's all, whatever you're going through, you don't have to just live with a voice in your head. There's always another voice, God's voice, that wants to enter into your troubles, that wants to speak to you. So, two truths at the beginning here. One is he hears. And two is he speaks. And he will speak to you. He has spoken to you. 
we can listen. He speaks. And third thing that you see here is he says, I'm working. I'm doing something. So Habakkuk comes to God and says, why are you not doing anything? How long am I going to speak to you and nothing's going to happen? Where are you? I look at all this stuff. God, he gives this list to God of injustice and wrongdoing and strife and problems and it's getting worse. And as if God is like, whoa, what? God says, I'm doing something. I am working. You might not see it. You might not be aware of it, but I am doing something. That's what also look implies. Say, so you, you're the one actually, you know, not to be mean, Habakkuk, but you're the one not looking. I, you need to look. I am doing something. God is working. And we can miss it, right? Habakkuk missed it. He didn't, he didn't see God working. He felt like God was inactive. But God says, I am doing something. It's easy to think God's not doing anything. But we don't get it. We miss it. I don't know if you've ever played chess or if you've ever played chess on those um, outside big boards that they have. I was thinking about that and go, yeah, you know, what if chess, you're always thinking multiple moves ahead. So it might look like you're not doing anything. You sacrifice this pawn or even sacrifice a more valuable piece. And it looks like, but really good chess players, they're thinking multiple, multiple moves ahead. Well, what if you had one of those chess boards on the ground, but it was even bigger and it had more pieces and it, it, it covered the world and there's tons of moving pieces. It would be so hard to understand what someone's doing. And just because one pawn got hurt, you go, oh no, well, no, there's a giant game happening. I am doing something. That's just to say God is working in your life. We can miss it. But God is working. That's his response to Habakkuk, is to say, listen, I'm working. That's one of the most important truths that we need to know in any troubles that we face. And one of the ways that God often responds throughout Scripture when people ask him or, or wrestle with stuff is he says, I'm working. I am doing something. That's what God says. I am doing something. And then, he also says this. Be utterly astounded. You will not believe when you hear about it. Which means this. Okay, God's working. But what we say, if God says, hey, I'm working, is we say, well, then why is this happening? If you're working, if you're powerful, if you're active, then why this and why that? If you're so powerful, if you're such a chess master, if you can do all that, then why is this? And here's what we're saying. I don't understand. I don't get it. And God says, yeah, I know. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and you're, going to, you're not even going to believe it. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and you're going to be astounded. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and it's going to blow your brains out. You're not going to get it. We think that if God explained everything that he was doing to us, we'd go, I knew it. God says, no. Actually, when I tell you, it's going to, your mind's not going to even be able to contain it. Have you ever talked to somebody that's really smart or maybe just somebody that has a totally different field than you have and you go, tell me about your work and explain what you do. And they're like, well, I take the 
the gadget and put it in the gadget, and then I flux capacitor, and then nine times a million, and then you go, cool. And you have no idea what they just said. That's kind of what God is like. God says, okay, I'll tell you, but you're not going to say, ah, I got it now. It's going, you're going to be utterly astounded. You're not going to believe it. So here's, here's another truth you need to know about God. One, he's working, but also he is confusingly wise. He's confusingly wise, meaning God's wisdom is so beyond ours. God's understanding is so beyond our little brains that it's confusing to us. We don't get it. We don't understand. And God knows that. That's another encouraging thing from this. God knows. Do you have questions for God? God knows that. And God doesn't say, you dummy. Why don't you get it? God says, I know you don't get it. That's okay. Just trust that I get it. God says, I know you don't understand. I'm not mad at you that you don't understand what I'm doing in your life. I'm not mad that you've got questions. I'm not mad that you don't understand. I'm not mad that you say why and when and where and how. I'm not mad. I just say, trust that I'm wise. God is working. God is confusingly wise. And then here's the hardest one of all. Here's the hardest one in some ways of all. Here's the next thing he says. He's going to say, I use evil for good. Here's what he says. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. This is another name for the Babylonians. That bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are conquering everybody. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. They're unjust. They don't follow any known, agreed-upon laws, the Geneva Convention, none of it. They do what they want to do. They look inside and go, what do I think is just? Ah, yeah, okay, let's do that. Their horses are swifter than leopards. That's scary. And more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. This is describing an intense army that eventually took over much of that part of the world. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. All of them. There's not like a weak one that's like, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. They're all set. They're all fierce, vicious. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. You know you're in trouble if you're prepared and you've got your fortress and everything set up and the enemy just goes, <laughs> then it's just, they're not even saying anything. If they just laugh, I mean, if, you get, if you're about ready to fight someone on the street and they show up and you're getting all geared up and all they do is just laugh at you, run. It's, it's over. They laugh. It's, not, it's nothing to them. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. God doesn't say, but really they're misunderstood. Their mom says they have a kind heart. He says they're guilty. Their strength is their God. They are so strong, they worship their own strength. 
And you know what? That's God's answer. Habakkuk says, how long? Where are you? There's so much injustice. There's so much corruption. There's so much pain. Where are you? And the answer that God gave was, the Babylonians are coming to destroy you. What? I wanted you to answer my prayer, but not like that. If you're struggling and you're praying, and you're like, God, I need you. Where are you? And God says, okay, I'm going to send the Russians to destroy you. That's not the answer I wanted. Can I hang up, call back, and get a different representative? I don't, that's not what I wanted to hear. Can I, can the answer be something different? Can I get a hug? Can I get a bonus? Habakkuk pours out his heart, and he's struggling in pain, and he's telling God all these problems, and God answers him. But God's answer is, I'm going to use this ultimate evil as the answer to your prayers. I'm going to use this idolatrous, violent, oppressive people as the answer to your prayers. I will use the worst evil to bring about good to bring about my purposes. Now that is hard to hear, right? We don't like that. I wouldn't like that if, if, I, if I was praying and asking God about things in my family or our church and God's answer was, okay, I'm going to send a bulldozer and knock down your church and hackers to steal all the money in your accounts. That's the answer? I wouldn't like it. It's very hard to hear this. And there's more that's going to be said in the coming weeks. There's more that's going to be said. But let's just acknowledge, we don't like the fact that God would answer that way. Saying, I'm going to use evil for good. Okay, We don't like that. But at the same time, we all have a category of understanding that. We all have different categories where we understand, at least in some areas of life, that that's a possible thing that happens, right? experiencing, and I still do, a lot of back pain, and I went into um, chiropractor, physical therapy, and one of the things they did, I don't know if you've ever done this, is dry needling, where kind of like acupuncture, but they stick needles in you, and I was asking her to explain it to me, probably to distract my mind from what was, from getting stabbed with a hundred needles, and she was just saying, it's got to go in deep, it's got to go, it's got to hurt you, it's got to get into the muscle. And then it reacts and it actually creates good from that. It strengthens it, stimulates it, helps it. So we understand that in a normal setting, if someone walked up to you and said, can I stick a bunch of needles in you? You would say, no, right? And yet when there's someone that we trust, as soon as they have the light blue V-neck on, we go, oh, I trust you, right? So just walk around on the street with a light blue V-neck, see what you can do. As soon as they have the white coat or the white blue, the light blue V-neck, we trust them. We know, okay, you're going to stick a bunch of needles in my back and I can't even see you, but you're doing it for my good. We understand that there can be some pain that is used for good. I grew up listening with my grandpa to Johnny Cash and still do with my kids. And one of our favorite songs, and this might be some of you are like, who? And shame on you. Um, <clears throat> But uh, one of the best songs is called A Boy Named Sue. And this, I, won't, I won't sing it and I won't do the whole thing. But, but basically what happens is this kid is named Sue by his dad. And so he's hunting down for him. 
because he's mad. Why would this evil person name me Sue? And he finally finds his dad in, his, in a bar, and they get in this big match, and the mud, and the blood, and the beer, and they get in this big fight. And his dad tells him, I named you Sue because I knew I wasn't going to be around, and if I gave you that name, you'd have to either get tough or die. Now, today, we would be like, what's wrong with a boy named Sue? And what's wrong? You know, we, we, that song couldn't even exist today, right? But, but even that little song, there was some understanding of, okay, sometimes something evil can be used for good. I remember when my kids were younger, taking them to the doctors to get shot and having to hold them down. They would scream. Feel, you feel like an awful father in that moment of just, I'm being begged. I'm being begged. And yet I know I'm doing this for good. So if we can understand it in those little categories, then can't it be true that God is wise enough and powerful enough and sees the bigger chessboard and knows so much more than we do, or Johnny Catch does? So much more that even though we don't like that answer, that we can say, okay, I don't get it, but I understand that you can use evil for good. That you can use the greatest pain in my life for some of the greatest joy, for some of the greatest ministry, for some of the greatest strength, for some of the greatest endurance, for some of the greatest maturity, for some of the greatest vision and knowledge of who you are. Can't we get that God at least could do that? That's what his answer is to Habakkuk. It's that I'm going to use great evil for great good. And listen, this is the consistent way that God works throughout the Bible. It might not be one of the things that we like about him, but if you were to kind of read God's personality profile, one of the things that he often does is this. It happened with Joseph in the Old Testament. That he says, what they meant for evil, you meant for good. That he is put in prison in slavery and tried to be killed by his brothers and all this stuff. And then he's able to help Egypt survive a famine and then his people to survive a famine. It's what God does in the Exodus. It's what God does with Job. It's what God does with King David. It's what God does in the book of Daniel we looked at last fall. God's people are taken into captivity in Babylon and all of this horrible stuff happens but Daniel and some of his friends are able to actually rise to prominence and God is glorified and it's what happens with the apostle Paul he's persecutor of Christians evil but then that very thing is what enables him to have such a grasp on God's grace as he becomes the greatest missionary the world's seen and listen it's what happens with Jesus on the cross that the worst evil ever done, the killing of God, led to your and my salvation. I remember that that was one of the truths that helped me to understand this. That if God, how could God use evil for good and then remembering he did that to himself. He did that on the cross. He chose to experience. It's not just something he says, sorry, you guys are going to have to go through evil for good. It's kind of this game I play. He put it on himself. So all experience the worst evil and use it for good. So I know it's difficult to understand this. You don't have to like it. You don't have to say, I love that God brings 
evil things. You don't have to say that. But you can say, I know even this, God will use it. I know even this, even a broken window, even miscarriage, even betrayal, even financial hardship, God will use this, even this. Now, you might feel, as we've gone through this, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. There's still a lot that, well, what about this? And what about, you might feel that. And so does Habakkuk. So he speaks to God, God speaks to him, but Habakkuk isn't like, okay, thank you, the end. There's still more questions that he has, and we'll look at those in the coming week. So if you feel like, okay, I've, I, here's what I hope. I hope we talked about movement. I hope you went like this. Or maybe, maybe even like, just, that's just barely, you know, maybe you didn't even take a foot up. It was just like a slide. Eek! Maybe some of you jumped. I don't know, but it's movement. How do you move? How do you move from questions and doubt and fear and struggle and anxiety and sorrow and anger? How do you move from that to joy and contentment and peace and trust and confidence and strength and maturity? This is the path. This is how it begins. You bring your heart to God. You're honest and you bring your heart to Him. And you understand some of the truths of who He is. I hear you. I speak to you. I'm confusingly wise. I am working, and I use evil for good. So what are you facing? Little troubles, big troubles? Where do you want to move and make progress? Where do you want the tools to be able to do that? This is the path. And the truth is this. The truth is that you and I have even more understanding of all these truths than Habakkuk had. We have even more understanding of this than he did. And he was a prophet of God, but we actually have more understanding than him. And I already alluded to this, because we see all of this in Jesus. We see a much clearer picture of bringing all this together in Jesus. We see that God hears us. He's not ignorant of what's happening. He took on human flesh. He hears us. We see that God speaks to us. The book of Hebrews says that in times past, God spoke through his prophets, but Now he speaks by his son that Jesus is the word of God. We see all that God wants to say to us in Jesus. And we see on the cross especially what Paul says, the foolishness, and he's being being kind of like facetious, but he says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And the weakness of God is way more powerful than the strength of men. See, on the cross, it looked like foolishness. It looked like, who would do that? I don't get it. Why? Why would this person die? How? Where are you? And yet, we see God's wisdom shine through on the cross. And it looks like weakness. We go, God must not be working. That's what they said to him. Where's your God now? Why don't you call down fire? Why don't you do something? It looked like weakness. On the cross, God's power was displayed to conquer Satan and sin and death. And we see on the cross that God uses the worst evil for the greatest good. Impossibly, impossible to imagine. So we actually have a clearer picture than him that can help us face our troubles, that can help us move on the journey. 
we're going to take communion in just a moment. If you're a Christian, we take communion to remember these truths about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, that what looked like foolishness was God's wisdom, that what looked like death and brokenness was God's healing of the world, that what looked like evil winning was God bringing about the greatest good for our life. That's what we remember when we take communion. And here's what that means. Don't just think about Jesus on the cross. Do, but think about that means you can trust him. That means you can face your troubles. That means he knows what he's doing. It means he hears us. It means he cares for you. God's answer is not often what we want, but his answer is his son. So as you take communion, you can begin with confessing and saying, God, there's areas I haven't trusted you, or God, there's areas I just haven't even done the first step of coming to you. I've just been on my phone, or just been dealing with it myself, or just talking to these people, or just, just not even thinking about it, just trying to push it down. That, that is a place to confess and say, God, I actually haven't even exercised faith at all because I haven't come to you. Forgive me. And he does. And then as you take communion... Allow the elements to remind you of the truth. He's with you. He hears you. He cares for you. He's working. He's wise. He loves you. He brings good from evil. This is how we move. This is how we don't stay in one place, but move to the place that God has for you. So let's pray. We'll take communion, and we'll respond in a few songs. I'll be in the back if anyone would like to receive prayer for any of the stuff that we talked about or other things happening in your life. Father, I thank you for your goodness and that we can trust you. We can trust you. Thank you that you hear us even now. Thank you for your word that addresses this struggle which helps us know that we're not alone in that struggle. Thank you that you are the ultimate answer, Jesus. You are wise, strong, redeemer, savior. Thank you. Let these truths sink deeper into our hearts and use them to strengthen us as your people, God. In your name, Jesus, we pray.